determined to do this this way. Why God's plan was such and such from before the foundations of the world. They are unsearchable. You cannot exhaust your understanding of the knowledge of God. Well, this is what God knows, and I'm going to spend my time studying it, and now I am going to know almost as much or as much as God knows. Every time you search out the ways and the character of God, you will always find things that are unsearchable, that are unknown. Job 5, 8 and 9. As for me, I would seek the Lord and God uh, and to God, I would commit my cause. So there's there's Job saying, well, if I just had a chance and then he says this. Uh, speaking of God, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. And you almost want to say, Job, just listen to yourself for a minute. If his ways are unsearchable, which you confess that, amen, Job. But don't think that you're just be able to walk into God's presence and, and, and explain a few things to God. Or even ask God for an explanation in a way that He is obligated to give it to you. God gets to plan and do things the way that He wants to do things. And this is the mystery of the will of God. It's, It's inscrutable. It's unsearchable. You and I will never get our minds wrapped around it. And so Nebuchadnezzar, after he's gone crazy for seven years... It says this in Daniel 4, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand and say to him, what have you done? None can run up to God and say, whoa, whoa, pause, stop, hold on. What are you doing? You ever walk in on one of your kids and, and they're getting into a little bit of trouble. And you go, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. What's going on here? And, of course, you know what they're doing. They're getting into trouble. But you can't say that with God. You can't say, well, okay, stop, God. You're not allowed to proceed until you explain to me what you're doing. You ever have your kids ask for an explanation? And you're like, no, we're just trust me, we're doing this. Well, where are we going? Well, it's a surprise. Well, well, where are we going? No, we'll tell you when we get there. Have we ever led you anywhere bad? But, but I want to know. No. And then they end up ruining the surprise because they pester you the whole time. How much more does God know? How much more does God see and understand? And Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan, says, None can stay his hand and say to him, What have you done? I submit to you that Nebuchadnezzar understands God better than most American evangelical Christians. How often does someone hear of this idea of God and his eternal election or the plan of God on the cross and and respond and say, well, that isn't fair. Well, that can't be true that God controls all things and he is sovereign over all things. 
You're out of your league. If you think you can come to God and say, whoa, 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 this isn't fair. There's stuff here I don't understand. We can't proceed until you tell me everything. Will you look at God's word and and what it plainly says and then say, well, that can't be right. It's amazing sometimes I, I do read commentaries, they help. But it's amazing sometimes you read the occasional commentary and the length with which they will go to to say these verses don't mean what you think they mean. And they spend all of this time telling you how all of this interpretation of it is wrong. And they end up undercutting what Scripture plainly says. And it's sad. Would you take issue with God when God says, this is how it works, this is how I do things, this is the mystery of my will, and I'm, I'm peeling back the curtain a little bit to show you some of the mystery of my will, to show you my greatness and my glory, and then you're going to sit there and say, whoa, I don't like what I'm seeing. No, we're supposed to say, wow, God, oh, the riches of your wisdom and your knowledge how awesome are your ways? And, and you've revealed to me just a corner of what you're doing. Just a, a minuteness of your sovereign control over all things. Imagine how much more I do not understand and comprehend. Second, this morning, your God is too small if you can advise him and instruct him. I do not know the mind of the Lord. And so Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. Can I search out the things of God? Can I know all that God is thinking? I can only know things about God that God reveals to me. Let me make an analogy, particularly to husbands. How often do you look at your wife and say, I have no clue what she's thinking? Ladies, how often do you look at your husband and you're like, what is going on? What what was he thinking when he did that? You don't even know what's going on in the mind of your spouse. Now, as your relationship grows, you get to know each other. And uh, My wife's pretty good at predicting what I'll do now, uh, but we've been married uh, 17 years. But there still are times you're like, what? If you don't know the mind of another human being, how do you think you can even know the mind of an infinite God? Like, in theory, if this was science fiction and we had a mind reading device, I could plug it into you and read your mind and come to know all that you're thinking. Because there's a finite level of knowledge in there. It comes to an end. But God is infinite. There is no way you could put all that he knows into your finite brain. How vast his wisdom, how unsearchable his ways and his judgment and his knowledge. You can't know the mind of the Lord. Then the next question is, well, let me just quote a verse from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And what 
that we may do all the words of his law. So I can know what God reveals to me, what God shows me about his character, about his plans, about his purposes. Where does he show me those things? He shows me in the Bible. And so I should spend time reading the word if I want to get to know God. And God has given us things to learn and to understand and to study and to meditate on. And it should shape our Christian walk. But we can only know what he's revealed. And there are things about God that he reveals. I am sovereign. I have declared the end from the beginning. I have elected a people from before the foundations of the earth. I have redeemed people that do not deserve it through Jesus' death on the cross. We know that. But there's a depth to that that God hasn't explained to us. And so we stick to what we know and he explains. And then there's just this part where we go, wow. We bend over and we worship because we say, God, you are awesome. God gives us the explanation for all that we need to know. For life, for godliness, for worship, for daily living. But there is an immenseness to his character, to his wisdom, to his knowledge that he hasn't even begun to reveal to us. And when we're in heaven, we'll fellowship with God and we'll get to know him greater. And perhaps he'll show us more things about his character, about his ways, about his judgment, about his glory, about his magnificence. And you will never exhaust your knowledge of God. It will be like going around an endless corner. That just when you think you are coming up to the end of the corner, you're coming near where you've searched out the wisdom of God, you will continue to turn and realize there is more there yet to God that is unsearchable because He is infinite. We are finite. Think about that. God knows everything about you. The hairs on your head are numbered. There is nothing in your life that is hidden from the sight of God. The infinite can know the finite. The finite can never exhaust a knowledge of the infinite. Am I God's advisor? For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Uh, This is a quote from Isaiah 43. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or chapter 40, excuse me, verse 13. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Meaning this is God. Who was his teacher? Who was his instructor? Who was the guy that gave God knowledge and wisdom and counseled him and gave him advice? Nobody. Because God's wisdom and knowledge is infinite. The irony here, the funny part here is Isaiah is writing this and he is writing this to for when Israel goes into the Babylonian exile and goes down to Babylon and Babylon had a God who was the creator and his name was Marduk. And Marduk couldn't create until he asked the other God 
uh, E-A, which is just spelled E-A, E-A, the all-wise. There's irony here. Who did the Lord get advice from? Who did the Lord get counsel from? Marduk, Marduk had to get counsel from Ea. Do you see how great our God is? You see that it's, it's a polemic against the false gods to say, look how wimpy they are. But think about it. God doesn't need advice. God doesn't need counsel. He's not waiting for you to do something and tell him what to do and how to respond. The plan and purposes of God are, are set from before the foundations of the world. When God was planning things before the foundation of the world, he didn't look ahead and say, now let me see what you're going to do and then I'll decide how I'm going to do it or how I'm going to respond. He didn't sit down with his future creation and say, well, you know, how do you how do you think we should make this? He didn't get together with with Adam in the garden. You know, what do you think of that giraffe? Do you like the long neck? Do you think that's a good idea? Should, Should we put that there? Now, he asked Adam to name the animals, and that that was a precious gift there to give the names. But God just made these things. God just planned history so that the purposes would be fulfilled, so that the culmination would be Christ dying on the cross to save a people. So that at the end, God would get all the glory as there are people in heaven from every tongue, tribe, and nation saying, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Did God ask anybody, you know, is that okay if I do that? Should I send my son in that way? Should I have him save some people? Should I have these sinners be be dead in their sins and then I'll come down and, and liberate them and give them freedom? And I'll have this plan from before the foundations of the world and I'll fulfill it. God did it according to his own judgments and his own ways because he's God. And it's glorious and wonderful. You know, think of how many, have you ever messed up somebody's plans? You know, like maybe somebody's planning something and then you get in there with your great ideas and, and oh, we should do this and we should do that. And there, you know, there's a reason nobody really asked me like what kind of paint colors we should do in the sanctuary. Because I'd be like, oh, hey, well, you know, bright colors, uh, uh, greens and stuff. I probably wouldn't have gone green, but you know what I mean. You, you don't want me in those plans. And yet how often do we think that God should involve us in his plans? Because we think we know what's best for us. You do this with your kids, especially when they're younger. You instruct them, you tell them to do things, you guide them and direct them. And they say, I don't want to do that. And you say, well, too bad. I know what's best. I'm the parent. I see the the big picture. And, And yeah, it's tough when you're in kindergarten and you have to memorize your colors or your numbers. That's hard work. And the kid says, why do I got to do this? I can't. And yet you see, once you get your colors and your letters, you get to read. And once you get to read... Think of the whole world that opens up to you in books. Because you know. And you see the big picture. And I say to you this, how much more with God? 
How much more for his glory does he have a plan? How much greater is his wisdom and his knowledge? What is your view of the plan and redemption? And do you have an all-sovereign God? Isaiah 45, 9 and 10 says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman who is, yeah, to a woman, with what are you in labor? None of your children in the womb say, Whoa, 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 time out. I'm not sure I like the hair color I'm getting here. Do I have the right genetics? Do we say that to God? I don't like what you're doing in my life. I don't like this trial. I don't like the way that you work salvation. I don't like this doctrine of election. I don't like this idea of your sovereignty. I don't like the idea that I'm dead in my sins. God, let me, let me talk to you about these things because it's just not right. Ephesians 1 says this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Why does God do this? He does these things according to the purpose of His will. What is the end of this? That His glorious grace is praised. That we sit here and we go, God is awesome. Yes, I don't understand all of God and all of God's ways. And yes, sometimes election and the sovereignty of God is is difficult to understand. But this is what Scripture says. And and God is telling me He's awesome and He is great. And and I can't get my mind around it. And that's okay. Because I'm going to glorify Him. And I'm going to say, God is God and I am not. And so it continues. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an eternal inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God predestines how? According to his purpose. And who is he? He is the one who works all. All things according to the counsel of His will. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. Now He reveals some of these things to us. But He does them out of His majesty, His power, and His infinite knowledge. Is your God too small? The danger is if we reject these truths in Scripture, we are pushing God down 
and bringing him to our level. Third, this morning, your God is too small if he is in your debt. I cannot give something to God so that he might owe me back. Verse 35, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? The idea here is who gave a gift to God that God should give us something back? Even as you think about salvation, and salvation is something that we receive through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, my act of faith is not something that I give to God so that He would pay me back. God has given the gift in Jesus Christ and His shed blood. And my act of faith is saying, I am a beggar and a sinner and I need this mercy. Mercy is not something you make a deal for. Mercy is not something you say, well, you know, if I do this for you, will you do this back for me? And so it is with salvation. We're not bargaining with God. This is not quid pro quo. Like, I've done something now for God. You know, he, I, I put my trust in Him. Now He owes me one. And how often do we go that way in our lives? You know, God, you know, I've been... I've been faithful. I've been worshiping you. You How how could you let these things happen in my life? Don't you see the, the gifts that I've been giving you? You should be giving me something back, repaying me. It's not how it works. That's not who God is. I'm a sinner. And I'm saved by God's grace. And I don't offer God anything in terms of payment, in terms of living up to it. I open my arms and I receive something that I don't deserve. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Think about this. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need you. God isn't, excuse the analogy, but God isn't a needy girlfriend grasping at you, going, oh, I am so desperate for your love and affection. I, I need you in my life. I'm, I'm uncomplete, incomplete without you. Now, does God love us? Yes! God loved us so much that He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. But why did God love us? We were unlovable in our sin. Yeah, we were created in the image of God, certainly, and that is precious and that is important. But in our sin, we are worthy of condemnation. And God wasn't like biting his nails and fretting and saying, oh, now I'm not going to be able to live without these people. Oh, what am I going to do? But, but this is precisely how many of us perceive God in our day and age. Not that we need God. And not that God is complete and infinite in His own being. But that God needs us. And we even sometimes share the Gospel in this way. 
We share the gospel in, in such a way that we make God emotionally needy and desperate for a relationship. And we sort of appeal to people's prides. Wow, you know, God, God needs me? God loves me so much that he, that he needs this relationship with me? God loves us so much that he sends his son to die for us and puts his Holy Spirit in us. And he initiates a relationship with us. And from start to finish, salvation is a work of God, God's doing. So that even as I respond to God in faith, I am doing that because God sought me and God took the initiative with me and in my heart. But God wasn't up in heaven fretting. There wasn't a lack of something in the character of God or in the emotional life of God. Why did God give grace and mercy and love? Because he did. Because he wanted to. There was nothing in us that motivated that want. There was nothing in us that made us special that God would say, well, now I really got to get you. Are we special and precious to God? Yeah, absolutely. But God wasn't compelled by some kind of lack in himself that we would somehow fill that hole in his heart or in his life. God reached down and grabbed us and saved us when we didn't deserve it. We sometimes make God as the one who is desperate for a relationship with us when the reality is we are the ones who are desperate for a relationship with God. We need God. Without God and without the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no hope of salvation. Without God working in Christ on the cross and pouring out his wrath for sin onto the Lord Jesus, there would be no forgiveness of sins. Without God sending the Son to go and die, there'd be no forgiveness of sins. Without God sending the Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God and then causing your heart to be open to these things, you would have been content to say, I don't need God. I don't even like Him. That's what rebellion is. And God took that away. And God used the ministry of the Word to show you who you are. To show you that you're a sinner. To show you that God had a plan for you from before the foundation of the world. And all that we do at the end of the day is sit back and say, Wow! Oh, the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We are so undeserving of God's love and His mercy and His grace. We are, we are vastly undeserving. You aren't some gift to God. God is the gift to you. That He would come and have a relationship with you. That He would send Christ. That He would give you the Holy Spirit. God was under no obligation to do these things. Why does God love and give grace? What is the reason that it's there for I can tell you this, there is no motivating factor in me that caused God to do what he did. 
God wants to show you the riches of his glory and his mercy so that he turns and he saves a people. And this brings us to the last thing this morning, that God, the God of the Bible, gets all the glory. This is the plan and purpose of God, ultimately, to glorify his name, to sum all things up so that he gets the credit and the glory and the riches and the honor and the praise. And guess what? We get this awesome experience of being there to see the majesty and the glory of God and to announce it and to sing it and say, God is awesome. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. As we sing in Revelation chapter 5. So, God has made all things. Romans 11.36 For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. God is not dependent upon anything, but everything is dependent upon God. Everything is from Him and has its existence through Him. And so when Paul is teaching a bunch of pagans in Greece, in Athens, at the Areopagus, he says to them, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in the temples made by man. He doesn't need you to build him a house. Then he says this, nor is he served by human hands, meaning he doesn't need you to bring him food as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God doesn't need anything from you. He delights when we worship. He delights when we love him. And that is the response we give to his grace. But God was not sitting up in heaven deficient in some way until we started worshiping him. Until we started loving Him. God is independent. And out of that independence has made all things to be dependent upon Him. And in my salvation, most of all, I am dependent in every aspect of it upon God and His work. Who took the initiative? God. Who worked in my heart? God. Who is changing my habits and my behaviors? Who is making me more like Jesus in my daily walk? God. Who gets all the credit for those things? For my salvation? For the change in my life that I see happening now as a believer? For the sins that I've been able to resist and the changes that are going on that I'm better person, that I'm more loving. Who gets the credit? Who gets the glory? Who gets the praise? God. Because God is doing the work in me. God has made all things for His purpose. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. Why is everything that is made made? It is made to God. To serve Him. To glorify Him. To worship Him. And Paul says to Him, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God deserves all the glory and God will get all the glory. And so in bringing salvation and bringing judgment, all creation will acknowledge the ways of God are right and will bow the knee before Him.
Let me ask you several questions this morning as we close. One, is my view of God too small? Sometimes it's in our theology, it's in our doctrine, our understanding the word of God. Well, God can't be sovereign like that. God can't be in control. God can't elect people from before the foundations of the world. Where am I giving the credit? Am I giving it to God? Is there some area of my personal life that I think I can challenge God? Maybe some struggle where I think God owes me an answer. Now, it's not wrong to plead with God and and say, God, show me your wisdom. Show me your will. Help me to understand. If it's your will, show me why you're doing this. That's not wrong. What's wrong is when we come before God and think he owes us an answer. We can ask in mercy and say, Lord, if you will, just help me understand what you're doing this for. But God may never tell you why such and such a tragedy happened in your life. And you can still trust God. How do I see myself relating to God? Do I see myself as equal? Now, this is the great thing. I am in a real relationship with God. That God would come down and and enter into that with me. That is awesome. But never forget who you're in a relationship with. It's the infinite God. And you still honor Him and respect Him. You don't talk to Him like one of your pals or your buddies or your best girlfriend. He's God. Am I in some ways resistant to the teaching of an all-powerful, sovereign God? And let me just challenge you this week. As you're spending time in prayer, and you're spending time in worship, do you approach God as God? Do you acknowledge His majesty? Do you see the total purpose of your life to be to bring glory to God? To boast about how great he is. When you sit down with your kids, especially those of you that have little ones, do you tell them how awesome God is? Do you tell them how big and majestic God is? What a privilege it is for us to get on our knees before God and say, God, your ways are unsearchable. Your judgment's inscrutable. But you deserve this glory. Awesome is a word that we often make frivolous. But God really is awesome in a manner that is beyond our comprehension. And in all of our understandings of the workings and ways of God, do you protect the glory and awesomeness of God? Or do you intentionally or unintentionally make him small? And bring him down to our level. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to praise you for who you are. We want to take this time to acknowledge your majesty, your greatness, uh, your wonder. We pray that you would speak to us from your word, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted. Maybe some of us just need that that energizing power of, of seeing your glory and recognizing it for what it is and how that can fuel us in our our daily lives, that we are here to worship you and to enjoy you and bring glory to you. Meet us where we are today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion uh, this morning.
And uh, I'm going to ask the, the men uh, to come forward. Communion or the Lord's Supper is a time where we celebrate uh, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to save us from our sins. And the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ uh, came to earth, was born of a virgin, was born uh, under the 